We hit the COVID-19 pandemic. I actually left that job and ended up looking to create a new business. So what does kind of the portfolio look like now? Lease arbitrage is becoming a lower and lower percentage of our portfolio. And what we saw was the number of units on the market has really increased and the amount of demand for Airbnbs hasn't. But that doesn't mean that you can't make money in this industry. You've got to be intelligent about how you play the risk because it is very easy to go broke by signing a whole long list of of leases. You need to make intelligent market choices and property choices to get into the business or you're going to get all these BS like Airbnb bust, Airbnb bust. Well, it's not really true. If you take a look around this country, there's still opportunities if you're willing to look outside the box. A lot of people that just saw Airbnb as a gold mine jumped in and they thought, oh, I can just do nothing and just passively make income. And now they're getting their butts kicked. If you want to launch in your market, you may want to try and outsource certain things to other companies, but really our success has been built on first what is up everybody we are back with another episode of the fetch it podcast we have adele and ryan with us today they are from sunny southern california and they are going to help teach us about airbnbs in the la market guys what's up say hello and introduce yourselves hi everybody thank you so much for having us jonathan and david um now we're super excited to be chatting with you guys um um yeah, we're uh, we're based in California, but really uh, mostly based uh, on the airplane, depending on where we have to go regarding our properties. Um, but yeah, my name is Edel. Pleasure to meet everybody. Real pleasure to meet you guys as well. Very excited uh, to talk about uh, what we're seeing in the industry, what's going on, uh, because we've got exposure right across the U.S. and internationally. I've been doing business for quite some time and. Uh, very excited to uh, be collaborating with you guys at Fetch It. You've got a great product and super excited to be doing this. Fantastic. That's exciting. Yeah, this is something that really, really intrigues me because it seems like there's, you know, this this echelon that's a sweet spot to where once you get just above that and you get into more of the luxury properties, which I think you guys are going to talk about with us, then that's whenever you can really start making some crazy money. So before you guys started up with that, can you guys kind of take us back to the beginning of like how you guys got started in the real estate world? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I got started in this uh, before partnering with uh, Edel, uh, with Moondog here, and uh, basically started working uh, in short-term rentals in Orlando, up in Canada, and, and really sort of cut my teeth learning the basics of the analytics, the data, and how we can really maximize owner revenue for people. And we were looking, uh, as we hit the COVID-19 pandemic, I actually left that job and uh, ended up uh, looking to create a new business that sort of thought a little bit differently uh, about the short-term rental game. And that's really helped us in expanding out to different groups and really targeting uh, profitable areas of the market that, whether it be in the small hotel space uh, where we've grown out in Arkansas to the bachelorette type business where we're seeing business in Nashville and Arizona. Uh, we've been able to take a look and really hone in on some niches uh, that have turned out pretty profitable for us. And just to add to that really quickly, uh, it, I don't come from the real estate world, actually. <clears throat> Excuse me. I come from the entertainment space. And uh, during COVID, Ryan and I actually were roommates and um, Ryan told me about, you know, him basically operating uh, the business where he was working at. And we started talking about it, about starting something of our own and testing it. And we actually started by testing, you know, sort of a more data driven approach. And our first property was in London in the UK. Uh, it was, you know, a property through a family friend. And we said, you know what, if we say we're data driven and tech driven, <laughs> Let's see how far really away we we can be to manage a property. And that property did really well for us. So much so that during COVID, everybody was so scared about their properties never being rented again that we were able to get some great deals uh, at first actually on lease arbitrage. And uh, very quickly, you know, I told Ryan, you know what? Every girl that I know here in LA from my friends through friends of friends, they still go to the same spots for bachelorette weekends. It's the same seven cities that we can probably totally. count up. Uh, and, you know, I said, you know what? It, to me, it sounds like, again, I've never been on a bachelorette party. I've been to, uh, on a couple of bachelor parties, but it sounds like <laughs> money doesn't matter on these weekends. Uh, and of course, you know, it does. But uh, 
it does seem like people want to make sure that they go to these weekends and, you know, they, everything is divided by eight, 10, 12 people. And so we started targeting these areas. We started to look into Nashville where we picked up some amazing uh, properties at first. First, we actually, you know, leased them. Eventually we ended up buying them with a couple investors, but that strategy helped us out a lot to really, you know, launch this business uh, in Nashville, in Scottsdale. And now we're in about 10 cities. Very cool. Phenomenal. So well, you, know, you guys had mentioned lease arbitrage a handful of times, and then you've also now sounds like you've gotten into ownership. So what does kind of the portfolio look like now? Is it more heavily on the ownership side of things or more heavily on the lease, uh, lease arbitrage? Lease arbitrage is becoming a lower and lower percentage of our portfolio. We're actually cutting out those contracts. One of the things that uh, frankly has hurt the industry, and I'm speaking specifically to both of you, is the YouTube experts. Uh, <laughs> we've had, uh, there's been a lot of people who have come into this industry uh, and, you know, they come in and they talk about uh, how you're going to make a bunch of money. All you've got to do is be able to pay your first and last month's lease, you know, start up an Airbnb business. And a lot of people have lost their shirts doing that because uh, when you're taking on a lease, you're taking on all of the risk. You're guaranteeing, like, there, there are players like Sonder who can put in their lease all sorts of huge, like, contingencies. If the S&P falls by a certain amount, we're not going to pay you this month, this sort of thing. They, they, they actually have uh, all sorts of great contingencies that they're able to place in their own leases that, quite frankly, a smaller player who's getting started in the industry, they just can't do. People, if they're going to sign a lease with you, they're going to be guaranteed that payment every single month. And what we've seen is that the lease arbitrage model was extremely successful back when, quite frankly, any moron could make money doing this. Uh, you had just a ton of people in the industry uh, entering in. And then what we saw was the number of units on the market has really increased uh, and the amount of demand for Airbnbs hasn't. Uh, that doesn't mean that you can't make money in this industry. Matter of fact, we are. Lots of people are. But... The truth is that you have to be very selective about the deals. You've got to be intelligent about how you play the risk because it is very easy to go broke by signing a whole long list of leases uh, and then finding out that your data was wrong or that the market dropped 30% year over year, both of which things have happened. I think that the barrier to entry and arbitrage is low. So you, So when the interest rates were low, you had the flood of the flood of new supply go into certain well not every market because some markets like you know you can't really do arbitrage um, because there's not a lot of units for rent like national parks. Um, I'll say like this: I agree with your take there, 150 percent. I got into I I started in, Air, in Airbnb arbitrage. I learned the business, and I wouldn't be doing development without it. But I love your data driven approach and how and how you're saying that you need to make intelligent market choices and property choices to get into the business, or you're going to get all these, you know, BS, um, you know, Twitter retweets of like Airbnb bust, Airbnb bust. Well, it's not really true. It's the busted up low interest rate supply units that were not designed well, shot on their iPhones and all that, and not managed properly with bad reviews are busted. Exactly. And that, well, that's really what we saw. And we, that's why we start, uh, you know, moving our business towards management. Uh, and again, the beauty, the, like the beauty of the management part of the business is that it's a really big difference between amateurs and professionals. And so for us, you know, like everybody else, we started this with lease arbitrage, but very quickly, you know, switched the model because we said, you know what, do we want to just, you know, do lease arbitrage with, you know, four or six properties or do we want to grow this into a real business? And so now, you know, we're at a place where we have about 50 properties that we either manage, we bought about 10 of them with a couple investors, uh, you know, where we raise per project. Uh, and, you know, the data-driven approach really helps us to, you know, make sure the numbers pencil out, plus some of our, you know, own internal sort of formulas that we created. And so I think it's helpful for the industry that now uh, there's a bigger gap between professionals and sort of, I would call them amateurs. Um, there's... Nothing to say about uh, people wanting to try, you know, and sort of start it as a, whether it's a side hustle or whatever else it is. But I think for property owners, going with the right management company uh, can be vital, both for them to make sure their ROI works, to make sure their, you know, mortgage payments are paid, and of course, to make some money. 
Yeah. So, I mean, you guys have mentioned, I mean, with FetchIt being a, a tech company, an AI company, you keep mentioning data-driven, uh, making smart decisions based on the data. So can you guys kind of dig into your process that you guys go through? Like, uh, you said you're in 10 cities. What's kind of like the, the latest city that you bought in? What type of property was it? And how did you guys decide? Or like, you know, taking on as a management company, whatever. Like, what was the latest acquisition? And how did you guys decide, yep, this is a good deal? The latest one that we did uh, is actually out in Arkansas, and I'm actually, I'm from Canada, Edel's from Germany. Uh, quite frankly, I couldn't find Arkansas on a map about six months ago, and no, no offense to the people out in Arkansas, they're great people, and I love them, uh, especially now because we're doing well out there, but uh, the uh, it, it's, uh, we ended up going a little bit different and this sort of goes to the strategy and uh, we partnered with a group to purchase a small 16 room motel and out there uh, these properties uh, really uh, don't sell at the same premium that you find on the coasts in this country and there are a ton of people uh, in the middle of America looking to have a great time looking to find value and uh, compete on price and oftentimes uh, you aren't competing at, with the same level of technology uh, uh, with your competitors. So we're able to come in with a lot of outside market knowledge and, and bring it into a market that's a little bit less sophisticated. And it helps us because we've seen a real market shift. And this is, uh, I, I've been doing Airbnb specifically for a little bit over four years. And, you know, dynamic pricing, for example, used to be something that was new and cool. And now anyone, you know, anyone, you know, even even the most basic person in this industry, you know, they can set up dynamic pricing. No problem. The concept is not new anymore. Everyone is doing it. Do you do that? And so, but you take a look around this country, there's still opportunities if you're willing to look a little bit outside of the box there. And that one has done extremely well. It's been cash flowing nicely and we're looking for more opportunities like it. Yeah, so, so and, and, sorry, just, and to add, so coming from a, a fellow Midwest boy right now, I'm from Indiana, born and raised. So I always tell people the Midwest is like ripe for development because there's nothing to do out here. There's just nothing but cornfields. So anywhere that has any sort of attraction to it whatsoever, the Midwest floods to it. Everybody goes there. So if you can find these Midwest markets very similar to what you guys did, then yeah, you can absolutely crush it. So I love that. I'm sorry, Dale, go ahead. No, no, um, well... I want to answer to what you just said, because that I think that's so important, because, again, for people you know, just getting into the industry, obviously, everybody's asking about the biggest cities and, and, you know, they see the prices and they see how much people are making in revenue and some of the data, even though it's adequate, like it's antiquated, uh, they're still sort of banking on that historic data. Uh, we actually, we started looking, like I said, deeper into the data points. And there are some interesting ones that rarely get mentioned, but something like, the percentage of increased you know properties on airbnb in specific cities i think is such an important metric and uh, a quick anecdote to that is you know when the super bowl happened you know in arizona everybody said oh my god we will be making you know millions of dollars uh, you know and, and basically our property will be paid for for the whole year and suddenly there were uh, i think about 25 to 30% more airbnbs in that area available and all of them were empty and so thankfully you know the way that we were running them um, we we were able to get our Airbnbs to be booked up because they were booked up far in advance. But again, that sort of shows, well, if there's a gigantic increase in percentage of Airbnbs in that area. Maybe there's another area where that didn't happen. And, you know, uh, not to tell all of our secrets, but I think some great markets <laughs> that we recently started looking into uh, is, for example, South Bend. Uh, phenomenal market. It's right next to Notre Dame, uh, the university. And uh, the increase of Airbnbs there, I think, is about like four to five percent. The cap rates are through the roof. Uh, the people there, again, Midwestern people, it's always amazing to deal with because, uh, you know, there's just uh, some, something about Midwestern that I guess reminds me of Germany. Uh, but uh, there, I think there's there's markets like that where you can really, um, like I said, follow the data and make sure that you're not only following the trends, but almost create your own trends where you say, OK, well, if this metric stays low, maybe it makes sense to sort of do some research there or, you know, get a company that helps you find the right property there or to manage your property in these markets. 
amazing. Yeah, I think yeah. it's because half of the people in the Midwest are from Germany. That's probably why. <laughs> you're, you're kind of in my neck of the woods, man. I, like, I'm, I'm two hours from South Bend, so if you ever need anybody to run up there and do something, give me a holler. Uh, but that's interesting. You were getting yeah, a call at 2 a.m. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, looking into some of these other markets, yeah, it, it's super interesting. Like one of the – like Levi Kelly, if you guys follow him on YouTube, like one of his favorite places that he's go to, he goes to, he's from, you know, southern Ohio, so it's just natural for him. But Hocking Hills, Ohio is such a wild spot for people to buy Airbnbs and build, and it's like insanely competitive with super unique properties. And most people across the country have never heard of Hocking Hills, Ohio. But if you go and look at it, there are so many awesome properties out there and it's just because there's nothing else around you know like you can drive for three or four hours and not find another cool airbnb and for whatever reason they've kind of conglomerated there in hawking hills and so yeah if you can find these pockets and really start developing them there could be insane cash flow so so hey guys Absolutely. i don't know if you guys I mean, look, I, can you guys I think hear there's me various points also in regards of managing property correctly right like we see now more and more uh, you know, the differentiation factor plays such a big role, right? Like, uh, I mean, if you look at places like Orlando, you know, or if you look even nowadays in Scottsdale, really, uh, it's not a big secret, you know, that people travel to Scottsdale for bachelorettes or for uh, group travel or, you know, have a family vacation. But I think nowadays to sort of, you, I think the name of the game is really creating as many touch points with the guests as possible. Uh, so, you know, communication obviously uh, is an obvious point. But the other thing is, we have so many guests that come to our properties, whether it's weekends or sometimes weekdays, and they say, hey, it's a special occasion. You know, we're my wife and I are having an anniversary or we're having my, our kid's birthday or uh, really anything that is sort of a special occasion for the guests. And I think it's becoming more and more important to really have touch points with the guest. And that's why we started like a subsidiary company where basically we're offering decorations or we're offering certain things for the guests where it's completely hands off for them. They know when they arrive, there's something waiting for them that will either surprise their significant other or make their stay better, you know, a full fridge, whatever it is. And I think these things are getting more and more important. And that's how you see, you know, good management companies really taking sort of, you know, a step ahead versus just saying, no, all we do is manage a property. Um, and so I think that's becoming more and more important. Yeah, you, you said a full fridge and you had me think about Nashville, these bachelorette parties, you know, having a few bottles of champagne as soon as they arrive. I'm sure that, you know, like gets the five star review going already right in the right from the get go. Yep. So I think I think uh, Yoni, he was having a little bit of technical difficulty. He's going to try and hop back in. But uh, yeah, yeah anyway, so these these properties, you, you're talking about managing them and making sure um, that you're like, you know, doing a good job with it. And that's something else that I think is kind of lacking. There's a lot of people that just saw Airbnb as a gold mine jumped in and they thought, oh, I can just do nothing and just passively make income throughout this entire <laughs> thing. And now they're getting their butts kicked. And I agree that I think like the the lower 25% of the market, the people that are not that great of hosts, they're the ones that are screaming the loudest because they're, the they're the ones that are going to get the ax and people are, you know, freaking out about it. And they're saying, oh, Airbnb bust, blah, 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 whatever. But, you know, it's only for those people that are doing a poor job. So whenever you have two gentlemen such as yourselves that are doing an exceptional job for it, there's nothing to worry about. And, you know, the cream's going to rise to the top, just like with any other industry. Well, David, I want to sort of add on to that point, because I, th I think you're getting to a really important thing here. But one of the other things that's really hurt the industry is the failure to adapt. So two, three years ago, one of the things that we saw, like when, when we talk pricing, we always think about it as a pricing curve. And so the thinking always was that you, you have your days that are coming up really short term, you discount those heavily because you've got to sell them, you're going to get zero dollars or you're going to get something. And then far out in the future, uh, raise up those prices, put a premium up on them so that you get that booking at the highest possible rate. But when the market came down, uh, a lot of people just kept that rate strategy in place. And what we've been doing is actually flattening the curve a little bit to try to get people in a little bit earlier to our properties, to get them to book farther out in advance so that when the month comes up, we're not sitting with an empty calendar for the next 30 days trying to capture low, uh, to try to caption these bookings right in the last minute, right? Yeah. Uh, and when you're capturing last minute bookings, it's better than zero, but you're going to be doing it at a severe discount. So what we found is getting a little bit more aggressive in your pricing strategy, especially farther out is giving you an edge because everyone and their mother, they're, they're all pricing way too high out in the future, hoping to get that real premium when, in fact, what they should be doing is trying to secure those guests so that you lower your risk level and bring in money long term. So you're talking about a strict cancellation policy. 
as well. We do, uh, yeah, we do use a strict cancellation policy, but to be honest with you, uh, it, it's not always uh, the best policy. Uh, and this is something that uh, I, I think uh, it, it really is on a property dependent basis. Uh, we have a property out in Los Angeles with a flexible policy. We get very low cancellations on it and it helps us secure bookings really far out in advance and it's a nice luxury property does extremely well beautiful mountain views i'll tell you you're looking down at the city of los angeles it cannot be better and so when you have a great luxury property that you can get booked far out in advance uh, you know sometimes it's worth it to allow for those last minute cancellations uh, because it helps you sort of build up that portfolio uh, with higher price bookings that might not otherwise make it so, so that's a that, that's an amazing point. I didn't. That's very counterintuitive, and and uh, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have guessed that. So let, let me ask you something for the audience. Um, tell everybody what markets you're currently playing in, and maybe what markets you would really want to get into. So maybe somebody maybe listens to this when we put the when we put the pot out. Somebody might listen to this in a year from now. Like, where are some places you? Where is everywhere you can go? What's the low-hanging fruit, and what are some places you really want to go, and maybe is not included in that? Yeah, Ryan, do you want to go, or do you want me to go? Oh, I was letting you go here. I, I talk too much. Sometimes. Okay. Well, uh, so currently we're all right. Let me let me try to count this up. Uh, well, uh, we're in California. We're in Oxnard, Los Angeles. Uh, in Arizona, we're in Phoenix, Scottsdale. Um, we're in Louisville, Eureka Springs, Arkansas, where we're about to close on a second hotel. Um, in Tennessee has been a great market for us. Nashville has been awesome. Um, what am I forgetting here? Right? Oh, Chicago. Kentucky, Again, Kentucky and Chicago there. Yeah. Yeah, Kentucky, Chicago. We also have properties in Tel Aviv and in London. Um, and for us, um, I mean, Tel Aviv really is very self-serving. I, I love to go there and, uh, you know, uh, being able to help people there by managing some of their properties has been incredible. And obviously, you know, getting the chance to go there has been great as well. But no, look, I think currently what we're doing is we, how we structured uh, sort of our expansion has been by, uh, I think verticalization is also a great point to talk about where you, uh, of course, if you want to launch a new market, you may want to, you know, try and outsource certain things to other companies, but really our success has been built on verticalizing our business. So, you know, we have our own cleaners in each market. We have local personnel that we use um, and we sort of expand that way. Obviously, econo economies of scale help with that. So I think Nashville uh, and uh, Scottsdale, Phoenix are probably our strongest markets because we manage the most homes there. And uh, in other markets, like I said, like we, we launched in Chicago just a few months ago and currently, you know, we're signing up our third property there. And so we really... I think launching in a new market is not the difficulties, it's doing it efficiently. And so that's really, you know, what excites us. And so I think the Midwest has been uh, a, definitely a target for us for a long time. And we're trying to expand it a little bit more. Like I said, South Bend has been super interesting for us. Um, but yeah, there's, uh, there's a bunch of places we'd love to be in. And we also have the capability to really be across the country. Um, I think the national park strategy has been also been great. Uh, Jonathan and I, we spoke about this briefly outside of the glamping space, especially like when, you know, there are so many homes and cabins that need real management and that are, you know, can really be maximized while also being taken care of. Cabins take way more, uh, you know, brain capacity and, um, you know, personnel to make sure that they're, they're taken care of. So we're, oh, I forgot, Big Bear is also a big market we're in uh, here in California. And Again, you have to know the rules and regulations. If if somebody would like to start in Big Bear and they don't know the rules, uh, they'll be <laughs> fined through the nose. Uh, and and so I think that's also part of be, being a good management company is knowing the rules, knowing the regulations, and being able to advise the owners really well on this. Well, you know, I, I'll tell you one thing. First of all, people don't know that Big Big Bear just get, did the plot twist of all plot twists on uh, on the owner. So I, I I know what you're laughing about. I I I want to cry about it. Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely oh, know your regulations. I start salivating down there though, because his family actually owns a property in Tel Aviv as well. So I'm sure he was very intrigued by that, but yeah, you know, he's having a little bit of trouble with his Wi-Fi. Um, so something that I've been wanting to figure out and I've been wanting to ask, uh, Yoni and I were looking into like the development side of things for properties. And we're thinking, um, it, like if we were going to develop like the perfect Airbnb, doesn't matter where the market's at, 
but well, I guess that's a stupid thing. It always matters where the market is, but um, would it be if I had the opportunity to build three, three bed cabins or one six bed cabin, like, you know, is it better always to go bigger or is it better to spread the risk out? What's your opinion on that? Now, this might be a, a lead into a great pitch for fetch it because <laughs> it, 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 look, it, it, it it, the answer to that question, it, it, really, you can't answer that question without looking at the data in the specific market, right? So when, when you pull in uh, data on each of the markets that, uh, that we're looking at, some markets you may do better with a grouping of smaller units. Other ones, uh, the bigger is better. Uh, I, I mean, we... The, the, the rule that I tend to see with, with uh, Airbnbs is that the middle gets killed. Now, this it's a little bit broad, but generally speaking, your best investment is either really small, so studio or one bed, uh, or very big. Uh, and, and then in the middle where you have a lot of competition that is sort of trying to squeeze in and make things uh fit, you know, they, they tend to get a lot of rate pressure because on the low end, uh, so if you've got a studio, your cost of operations go down substantially. Uh, your cost of acquisition, your cost of uh, cleaning, everything down, it's great. Uh, whereas on the high end, the, where you've got more bedrooms, uh, your, your costs are all going to go up, but it also gives you the ability to compete uh, and, and keep your occupancy up. So when we have a big unit, for example, we, we do a lot of these big units out of Nashville, uh, when it comes to the middle of the week, uh, Nashville's a very weekend heavy market. So people come to Nashville to spend a bunch of money on the weekend, and the same home that can be selling for $1,000 a night on the weekend can be $50 a night on the weekdays. It's absurd. And the, but uh, the thing is that if you have a two or three bedroom in that market, uh, you can't lower your price and sort of come down in the same way that a four or five bedroom unit can because you can fit a small group into a big house, but you can't fit a big group into a small house. So it just keeps your market open. And that's why the bigger side tends to do better. Love that. Yeah. So I see what you're saying there to where like, you know, you can come down and uh, like the bigger guys then can come down. And then the people that have a medium sized group, they're like, heck, I'm going to take the big house. Why not? Because it's, you know, exactly. at that whatever price point they were thinking they were going to be at. And then on the weekends, whenever the price is higher then you get, you know, other people coming through. Go ahead, uh, By the way, this is something that David and I were ta talking about a lot in my development, which is like how to set up how to set up a house. And David, this plays into what what we were talking about. A smaller group will take a bigger house. Yep. 100%. You know, so absolutely. We were talking about we were talking about setting up a duplex or a big single family, and so this is this is sort of plays in what we're we completely agree with you, Ryan. Yeah. yeah. I think I think that's the smart way to think. Yeah. This, and this one of the in... things. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Well, I was just going to jump in and say one of the things as an investor that you really have to think about is what your goal is. So there's basically in this industry, you can be looking for cash flow or you can be looking at capital gains. Right. And so if you're investing, maybe and this also speaks a lot to the markets where if you're looking on the coasts in L.A., in South Florida, you're really going to be looking at properties that may have lower cap rates. But, you know, three, four years down the road, you're going to be able to sell them for a lot of money. And when you're building as well, you want to be thinking about those use cases for the property, because if the only use case that there is, is that you have this as an Airbnb. And if a little bit, if the bottom falls out of the market, or if you've got an investor who's looking to convert your home into sort of a long-term rental, you might be cutting yourself out of the knees by doing something that is only applicable to sort of an Airbnb, VRBO type market. So uh, you, you really have to think about whether you're looking to generate the most cash flow, in which case you, you might take different markets, you might take a different approach versus capital gains of long term. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The, the property that Yoni and I were talking about where he was saying it's kind of like a duplex side by side. It was, uh, you know, he was, he was thinking, I think he was thinking Miami styles, you know, to where like, you know, more people, more people or like, you know, uh, having yeah. two separate dwellings and having two separate people. That's, you know, two bookings, that's more money. But then me, the Midwest boy, I was like, dude, people go to the Smokies to get away from people. And so I think you're <laughs> going to have a lot of uh, grumpy Midwestern people saying who the hell's this guy next door to be throwing beer cans at me. So I told him, I was like, open it 
up and just turn it into one huge unit. And then you've got a five bedroom ha- or a five bedroom cabin that now a whole group of people can go to. And I think that it'll outperform, you know, what two units would be. So it's just, but you David, know, why not market, do both? your avatar. I'm sorry. Why not do both? Uh, you know, if you have a duplex type property like uh, uh, what you're describing out there, you don't have to list it just once. You can list it three times, right? You can list it as unit A, unit B, and then you can also do a combined listing. And we do this in Nashville. We do this all over the world so that you're able to tap into both markets so that you can sell the side separately when economically that works best for you. But you can also sell it as one separate, one entire unit uh, in a completely different listing that will take those large groups. And that's going to help you, especially when we're talking about that midweek business or when the market is a little bit slower and you're not getting the very large groups coming in, you still have a product that you can sell to these uh, smaller groups who are looking a little bit more budget constrained, where you're not giving up the entire property to one person at a low price, you're able to get it at two. And maybe they're happy with that because they're paying a lower nightly rate and saving a little bit of money. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very, very smart point. Um, so something I'm thinking about a lot is um, where the where the market is going. So you see a lot about these. We mentioned we mentioned ordinances uh, for a minute. So why don't you guys talk a little bit about are you guys dealing with any medium term rentals in these big cities? Because some of these big cities have made 30 day minimums. So. There's a little bit of that uh, happening uh, in the markets that we are in. Uh, all all of them allow for short-term rentals uh, on a consistent basis. There are cases, for example, in Los Angeles where while we were waiting for permit approvals, uh, we ran it as a midterm rental to sort of supplement the income, make sure that there's money coming in before we can really sort of maximize the revenue for our, our clients. And there are some indus- there are some markets where there are waiting lists for permits. It, look, when, when you go into a market, the truth is that you've got to learn the rules of the road. You've got to figure out what the, the what they are and you've got to write a strategy for that market. Uh, The truth is that you're not able to get away. It's no longer the wild west. It it used to be you could put up something on Airbnb, didn't matter how illegal it was, you could run it, the city would never catch you and you'd be fine, (laughs) right? Uh, You'd cash in, make a lot of money. Uh, Now in a lot of cities, Airbnb will sell you out. (laughs) Right. Uh, and totally, you have totally. to submit your permit numbers. You've got to it, it's and look, this is this is not a bad thing for the industry. Uh, one of the problems that, uh, you know, hosts out in Dallas, for example, got into is they started out in a market that had basically no rules of the road. And, and then the city came in and put new rules on the road that were very, very draconian, at least towards the existing uh, property owners and and operators, and they didn't really grandfather anyone in, uh, which was extraordinarily harmful. Uh, I, uh, I I thoroughly disagree with what they did, but uh, you can. Uh, but if you take a look at markets that do have some level of regulation. I don't know that there's an example of a city that has been giving out short-term rental permits who has then shut it down and said, you know, the existing permit holders are no longer able to do a short-term rental. Where they've become stricter, like Nashville is a great example for this, the permits that they gave out earlier, they were grandfathered in. So in Nashville, you have single-family homes that have short-term rental, non-owner occupied permits. Uh, you can't get those today, but if you got one when they were legal, they haven't just taken them away from you. So a little bit of uh, like going into a market with some level of regulation uh, is actually helpful because it, it reduces your risk. There. Yeah, that, I think. I, yeah, David. That was uh, actually uh, Tony Robinson from the Real Estate Rookie Podcast. He's a you know big short term rental guy, and he was saying that like that's becoming a strategy that he likes is like finding the markets that have super strict Airbnb laws because then everybody else, it's just out of sight, out of mind. So like, oh, I don't want to have to go there. They have strict laws. Mm-hmm. But he's like, no, if you can get into these places, especially if it's like, oh, we're going to start a lottery system to where it's, you know, only 500, kind of like San Diego did. Then it's like, oh, there's only 500 allowed. If I get one of those 500, it's going to okay. be extraordinarily valuable. And so then, you know, people are going to be willing to pay an X amount, uh, you know, extra to purchase that property down the road because it was grandfathered in as long as that per 
government transfers. So it's a really unique strategy to like kind of like run towards the gunfire if you know they're saying that laws are coming in 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 the uh, in the future to go there and get something while the laws are being put in place that you know is going to get grandfathered in or at least you're you're hoping for. It's a it's an interesting way to look at it. I I, I have a question uh, before we get into the, we 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 do like a fire round of personal questions, but I I have one thing that I didn't ask yet. You guys talked about London and Tel Aviv. What is um, maybe let's pick on London for a second because you know a little bit less familiar. What is the difference between a London property on Airbnb versus like anything in the U.S. I guess or what like is there a compare contrast that you could give? I, I think that from an operating perspective, it's very similar, right? You want to, you know, on the fundamental level, you're looking at a few major categories when you're running an Airbnb, pricing it correctly, delivering high quality, great cleaning operation, protecting the property from damage. All of those principles, it doesn't matter whether you're in London, whether you're in Egypt, whether you're in Tokyo, or whether you're here, you know, in Los Angeles. Uh, Delivering a high quality experience at a good price, that's just basic business. Uh, out in Europe uh, and uh, in Tel Aviv, uh, some of the differences really came during the COVID lockdown. Uh, they were much stricter than what we saw in the United States. Uh, and so uh, you just want to think about how different governments are going to react to different situations. Right now, in good times, uh, you're not going to see very much of a difference. Uh, but when it comes down to like different laws and the way that they place it, it's just you've got to think about the government and the country that you're operating about in because they're the ones setting the rules out there and you're going to have exposure to that. One more thing. One more thing. I'll just I would just one nugget. David and I have like outside of the, the fetch it world, we've we've basically said STRs and national national parks, MTRs in big cities, and like that's the way we do it. We don't want to run in any trouble any with any governments, and that's been like our the, the silver bullet. We're really we're really proud of that because we don't want to be in a Dallas where like oopsies, I was crushing it, now I can't cover my mortgage. Adele, hit it. No, just just to add to the uh, to the to the international side really quickly. Again, coming from the entertainment world, every studio head the way they you know put out movies. They don't just say, oh, this is going to be a great time. People watch movies in the summer. They have a calendar in front of them. And so I think anywhere you go, um, again, in the U.S., we all know the U.S. calendar, the big holidays, the races that happen, the events, even though I would say people don't look deeper into the local events, which can really help to maximize revenue and run the property correctly. But internationally, it's even more important. I mean, something even like Tel Aviv, and again, uh, we have such a great relationship with the guys from Guesty. Uh, I love the guys. Nobody, by the way, parties harder at their corporate events than the guys from Guesty. Uh, but uh, whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> Where's our invite, dude? Whoa, whoa, whoa! You got to talk to Guesty. I'll, I'll, I'll shoot them a note. I'll introduce you to. to they they sell there. tickets. They're, they're awesome. <laughs> um, no, but but honestly, they, um, you know, they they rolled out a couple of products, and we're beta testing for them all the time on their product side. Um, and they're great, but one thing, for instance, on one of their, they, they roll out a pricing strategy, um, you know, and uh, and one thing that they they did right, but I guess for us it looked wrong, is because the pricing was for the, you know, Israeli weekend, which start, like the work week starts on Sunday. And if you don't know this and you come into the market, you know, and again, it's such a small thing, but I think looking at the calendar and understanding how the calendar works, the holidays in certain other international cities, is so important and vital. And so I think people don't look at that often enough. And I would even say in, in certain cities in the US, you know, we're in Louisville, uh, you know, you want to be next to the Bourbon Trail and you want to be next to certain events that happen around that. So you got to know uh, what's happening in that local city to really maximize your revenue. Cool. So I, that's great. I want to, yeah, I want to shift gears just a, a little bit. You guys have mentioned your, your management company a few different times. Can you guys tell me a little bit more about that and like how you've how you structured that and how you've been able to like bring owners in? Do you guys market to owners specifically or do, is it word of mouth or kind of how does your, uh, you know, your marketing business work for that or your uh, management? I'm sorry. Yeah, one of the cool things when we started this uh, business, uh, I came from the real estate side. And as Edel told you, he comes really from the entertainment side of the business. Uh, and 
I thought that this was a really cool sort of partnership uh, between us because uh, from my side of the world, you, you get a lot of the analytics, the numbers, looking at the, you, you know, the more traditional training that people in, in the property management industry have. And Edel brings this entire wealth of industry knowledge from how to attract new guests, people, and, and create interesting partnerships. And that's been really key to growing our business. Uh, we've launched products like Ghost Hotels. I'm going to let Edel go into that uh, in a bit more detail. But uh, what we try to do is bring in owners and find a way to be creative about their properties, help them generate uh, the most revenue that they can, both from looking at it on a data science perspective, but also looking at creative opportunities, whether it's partnering with entertainers, whether it's uh, bringing out uh, new revenue streams through, uh, you know, decorations and other types of business. Uh, it, it really comes down to looking at a, a property from two perspectives. I know you know we'll want to uh, talk about the uh, ghost hotel side and what we're doing to attract people there. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, look, I, I think, uh, again, I think a lot of things are show business, even though without people knowing that they're show business. And as soon as markets are getting saturated, um, you know, whether it's CPG products or uh, real estate, <laughs> Uh, I think if you add a little bit, uh, you know, of show business to them, you can definitely attract at least a different, uh, you know, a bigger audience. And if you do it right, you can really, uh, you know, create a great business out of it. And so initially we started, like I said, with, we follow bachelorettes, you want to offer them something that, you know, in the house where they come in and they're, uh, you know, they're so excited about it. They want to tell all their friends to book this specific house again and again. Um, and then it evolved into group travel. And like I said, you know, with just setting certain things up for certain guests, um, we, you know, we've been talking a lot about thinking how to combine those two worlds even deeper. And so, you know, we, we came up with uh, a concept that, uh, you know, we're sort of in the, in the midst of launching, it's called ghost hotels. Um, and it's really a white label company where we're partnering up basically with, you know, IP holders and celebrity brands, because in my opinion, the fact that there is no, uh, call it. I know Snoop Dogg Hotel somewhere or a Michael Jordan Hotel in Chicago or a LeBron James Hotel, you know, in Ohio somewhere. It's such a missed opportunity because the one thing that really combines every fandom in the world is everybody travels. And um, so we launched this product. We're working with like, you know, some of the biggest YouTubers out of the UK on this. And we're doing a couple of things here in the US that we're sort of launching uh, hopefully soon. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of ways to stand out and it can be sort of as big as sort of that idea that, and the vision that we have for this or as small as, Hey, what, what will be a good theme for my, you know, home in the desert that does not look like every other home in here. And how do I make my guest, my guest experience really stand out? It's interesting. I love that, man. Yeah. So I, I actually was just, you know, making it even more like leaning more into the experiential side of things, like making it a true experience for people that are going there. I think that's where you're going with it. Um, on a, like a smaller scale, I was talking to one of my students yesterday and he was saying that like he he's, he's a Wisconsin boy, you know, so he loves the outdoors, loves the fish, loves all of these other things. And he was like, you can find like a 20 acre woods with a big pond in it for like, you know, pennies on the dollar to buy this land. Mm -hmm. He's like, I want to build a cabin out there and advertise that. Oh yeah, I've got all the fishing equipment here that you can go and you can, you know, catch perch out of the pond and whatever else. He was like, I think that's also like big and Airbnb is like, you know, actively promoting it, saying that they want it to be an experience for people that are going there. That's why they promoted the OMG so much whenever they had that big competition going on and stuff like that. And so I think what you guys are doing is, you know, like the, the tip of the spear of the way that Airbnb is going. So congrats. That's amazing. Thank you. No, by the way, if you, if you look at homes, even in Arizona, we were shocked, but like, we, you know, we were shopping for some land out there, you know, and, and looking at some homes and there's not that many places that have, you know, uh, places for, to, for people to, you know, uh, launch their horses. And again, I, I, I don't know if anybody here on this call has horses. I don't, but there's a lot of people that do and travel with them apparently. And there's only, you know, a super minimum amount of places where you can actually stay with them. And so I think there's a lot of things like that, like you said, with fishing. Uh, such a no-brainer, but like there's no one specific area or home where people said, oh, this is the one place where you want to stay because it has all this stuff for you to have the perfect fishing weekend without having to go to 10 different stores and get out. So I think uh, looking at these niches will make a lot of sense and we'll see a lot more of that, I think, in the future for sure. Absolutely. I, I just want to say, I just want to say one thing, the, the themed hotel, the themed 
by city concept is really cool. So keep us posted as that develops. I, w- I want to hear much more about that. Uh, my brain w- went right away to those like Disney princess themed Orlando Airbnbs, but like it's much cooler. That's like obvious. But what you're talking about is um, I want to hear more about it. I think it's really cool. We'll, we'll, we'll keep in touch about it offline. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, D- Disney is the only company that has done it really well. But again, uh, you know, they've, I-, I was speaking to somebody today who sort of represents like, you know, a gigantic uh, YouTuber who has a huge following and their toys are in every aisle in Walmart or any, any other place, really retailer. But the fact that you can't go somewhere with your kids, you know, into a hotel outside of Disney that at the end has a gift shop that again, it's, it's not just increasing your revenue, but it's creating experience around it uh, is kind of crazy to me because I myself, when I stay, I don't know, the Hawks in New York, I, I find myself sometimes you know, giving into the, I'll buy a hat, you know, like, why not? Or uh, I don't need a mug, probably uh, another mug, but, oh, there's a cool, I don't know, like a shirt, I'll probably get it. But there's very few places that offer that outside of quote unquote hip hotels or boutique hotels. And I think that's really, again, people our age, and I sort of combine us all here on the call in the same generation, we don't want to stay in another, you know, 200, 300, 400 bedroom hotel if we don't have to, and if our like, company is not paying for it because of some reason, we probably travel in boutique hotels or dope Airbnbs in great local in great locations. And so I think there are so many ways to really uh, build that out and create a little bit more of an experience and uh, excitement around staying at a place and probably want to keep something from that place as like a, a gift to somebody or just a gift to yourself, really. Well, and like everybody, everybody wants to in in the age where everybody knows everything because everything's inside their phone. I think there's a huge, huge draw, like a feather in people's cap whenever they know something that somebody else doesn't. And so if they can bring a mug back from their baller Airbnb (laughs) that they stayed at and then somebody asks them, oh, where's that mug from? Oh, it's from this cool little Airbnb that I found, you know, like creating something to where people, you know, they'll remember it afterwards and making it an experience. Yeah, I love that. And you really got to think about your buyers and especially in these OTAs like Airbnb and Verbo. The cookie cutter approach that's sort of become the industry standard over the last few years is the antithesis of what they were trying to build with Airbnb, right? Like, you know, these these great, like, look, uh, you know, all respect due to Sonder and these big companies that have been uh, really dominating the market here. But, uh, you know, these service departments that all look the same, all have the same furniture set, all sort of, <laughs> you know, just fit that cookie cutter mold that they've built. It's a good mold, but, like it's not what people are looking for when they go to Airbnb. It's sort of what they expect at a Hilton or a Marriott, right? Where you go in and you get that same experience. At Airbnb and Verbo, if you're giving someone something unique, it gives you an opportunity to stand out and also be promoted by the platform because the platform is really looking to deliver those unique experiences to people. And that's why when you look at, for example, the Airbnb homepage right now, they, they've really sort of started to try to highlight different cool features about homes whether it's, you know, homes with great views of mountains or pools or all sorts of different features. Just take a look at that uh, Airbnb page and the type of homes that they're promoting. Uh, and, and you're going to see that it's not some cookie cutter corporate apartment, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that, that's been put into every city out there right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's all about it's all about design. Um... I'm just going to plug this. We want to be involved in whatever ghost becomes. So just, um, we're going to, we're going to talk about that. I, I, I totally vibe with what you're saying. Um, I was involved in the e-commerce world for a long time, make all your money on add to cart. So I, I, so I, I buy into that notion all the time. Um, uh, we have a per- few personal questions. Um, this has actually been a great pod. This is the first one we've ever, we've ever run over like this. That means um, you guys are amazing. So that's why I haven't tried to transition it personally yet. I'm vibing right now. This is awesome. Yeah. Should we keep going? What do you want to do? Amazing or long winded, but I'm good. No, I love it. I love it. We'll start. We'll start backing in though. So uh, my first question that I always love to ask our guests is, what is your favorite deal that you guys have done so far? And you guys can have different answers, but you know, like looking back across your portfolio now, what's like the deal that you look back and you're like, man, I love that one. Ryan, you go first. <laughs> uh, so, all right, that's uh, that's uh, you know I, I mentioned earlier uh, Eureka Springs. That's that's one of my favorites right now. 
just because it's a little bit different, uh, where we took a small motel, made it into a really special place, themed it around the market that it was in, really tried to highlight, uh, you know, that log cabin feel, everything like that, and delivered to people at a very, you know, competitive price point, a, uh, a great experience in a small boutique hotel, which they can book on booking.com, Expedia, uh, and Airbnb as well. And it's funny, you know, that's one where most of our business comes from booking.com. Uh, but it, getting that cross uh, uh, listing with Airbnb has actually increased revenue there by about 20%. Uh, and that's really opened up a new market. So I, I like the sort of very different uh, type projects, but we also have a lot of great single family homes that have done extremely well. Uh, and uh, without stealing too much from Edel and giving him a huge disadvantage, I, I love a deal that we did out in Phoenix as well. Uh, one of the things you look at in markets, uh, people sort of get stuck on being in the exact right zip code. And oftentimes in Airbnb, that's a huge mistake because quite frankly, travelers don't really know the cities that they're going into anyway, and they're looking for deals. So we were able to find a home in Phoenix uh, that we bought. It was $485,000. If you drop that uh, home into Scottsdale, it would be $900 million to buy that home, no problem. But that home cash flows within 10% of what our Scottsdale properties does do. And, and, and so, uh, but, sorry, the revenue on those homes is about within 10% of those Scottsdale homes, even though the price to acquire it was at 50, about half. Uh, and, and so the cash flow that we're getting off that property just really outpaces that. So sometimes looking a little bit outside the box on your markets and the homes that you're looking at, it, it gives you an opportunity to, uh, to make an outsized return. Great. I'll jump in here before Ryan mentions all of the properties and deals that we've done here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think my favorite deal, look, uh, there, there's nothing like the first in my opinion. And so, you know, when we, when we started out, I said London was our first property uh, that we launched a business with, but really during COVID, and it's one of these things that you don't realize when it happens, but you know, it was a huge moment of crisis. And I'm sure everybody remembers, we don't have to talk about it. But uh, it was one of these things where like, is this an opportunity or is really everybody else right? And we said, you know what, let's go with our gut. And it was the first time that we really trusted the data and followed it. And we got, um, we got incredible. It was our first lease arbitrage deal really uh, that we started with and uh, it went phenomenally. And we, you know, we, we rented about four places out of a sevenplex. Um, and then, you know, fast forward two years or a year and a half really, we got a couple of investors and we bought out the whole sevenplex. And so myself, you know, I'm a, I'm a Jew from Moscow who grew up in Germany. I would have never expected to own property in Nashville uh, with a couple of investors. <laughs> but um, it, it was the first one that really proved to us, you know, if you follow the data and you do your math right and you really understand the market. And also, most importantly, and I know your, you know, your audience is mostly entrepreneurs. You got to trust your gut sometimes. It can work out. Um, and so I think that's for me. Uh, will always be like the most memorable um, and exciting deal that we've done so far. So far, love that. <laughs> exactly. You got, we're, we got, we uh, we gonna be friends. <laughs> we gonna be friends. Um, what is a favorite book or podcast that Adele Ryan? It doesn't matter how you guys answered. Both answered that you guys feel um, has helped you guys along this journey and. Um, be curious to to hear your opinion. Does it have to be real estate related? No, no. I mean, look, I like I said, I grew up in Germany, and uh, if anybody wants one of the most inspiring uh, books uh, on somebody that really lived the American dream without being from here, I cannot recommend the Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, biography more. Uh, it's somewhere right over here, actually, and uh, truly, like again, yes. by the way. The first million he made was buying property in Santa Monica uh, to bring it back to real estate. But I think especially finding, look, there's amazing podcasts out there. What you guys are doing is incredible. But I think sometimes, and again, maybe that's also where my ignorance is bliss, uh, sort of uh, yin and yang with me and Ryan comes from. But I think people also don't only look in real estate books, don't only look in you know business books, try to find inspiration, what people have built before, you know, we're standing on shoulders of giants, whether it's fighters, whether it's, you know, big celebrities or just, you know, 
people in your own circles. I think there's a lot of inspiration to be taken and actually put back into your business. Love it. That's a phenomenal answer. And uh, maybe I'll steer us back to the business book side of things and try to uh, give something there. One of the things that's not really a real estate book, uh, but uh, one that I really enjoyed was uh, by Chet Holmes, uh, The Ultimate Sales Machine. Uh, really uh, cool book uh, to uh, read because it, it goes through... Uh, Look, everything you do in business is in sales. And Chet was one of the absolute top guys in the industry when he was at the height of it. He uh, really uh, was one of those outperformers. And it's great taking the ideas and concepts that he offers up in that and sort of applying them to your thinking when you're looking at selling something on Airbnb on uh, or anywhere else. Uh, look, you know, we're putting these uh, these products up on a platform, but you're still in a bare knuckle sales battle against every other property manager out there. And you should read a book and learn how to win it. It's amazing. I, I've listened to I don't, countless, countless podcasts, and I've never heard somebody mention that book before. So I'm going to check that one out, man. All right. <laughs> uh, so so uh, my next one that I'd like to go to then is like, is there somebody that's in your industry or in your niche that you guys kind of look up to? Like, you know, we're wanting to do what they're doing. Is there like, you know, some big Airbnb host or some big manager or some big company or something that you're looking into? Or, you know, are you guys just kind of like forging your own path? And I I'm, I'm think I know which answer that you guys are going to lead to. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I guess you can guess my answer. Uh, look, I think... Uh, and by the way, I, I see less of this business as a competition. We we actually, like to your question before, like how we get properties, a lot of it started out by us, you know, um, finding the people and finding property owners, going through whether it was Zillow listings and so on, one by one. And then that sort of thankfully through word of mouth uh, started becoming more of an incoming business. Um, then we said, you know what, let's build out a sales team. And we started to look into that. And I said, you know what, first, before we do that, I want to try the cold calling thing. I called about... 500 people in one day from a skip tracing link that we got just to see what I could, you know, what I would ask my salespeople to do. And I quickly realized I don't want anybody to go through that. And quite frankly, I don't want somebody <laughs> to mention our company while they annoy somebody. And the way that I got cursed out and I could not not agree with them because I would be as annoyed if somebody called me out of the blue like this. So we actually started partnering with a couple of realtors where, you know, we're, uh, we're offering them part of our management fee. Uh, or you know, part some sort of referral fee for certain things. So if there's realtors who have great relationships with, with property owners and need a management company, come to us. We'll take care of you. And I think there's ways to do this in a smart and new way. And so, look, I I think the pie is big enough. I want other management companies to succeed. Ideally, I want them to be professional and good, so that people don't don't think of this industry as sort of like a, a dirty business in any kind of way. So for me, I want everybody to win. And uh, I think you have to forge your own way to stand out a little bit. That's awesome. That's a great answer. David, take us home. Uh, so one last question. Uh, what kind of troubles do you guys have in your business right now? How could our listeners potentially help you guys? And what's the best way to reach out to you? Like what company websites, email, uh, social media? Yeah, I, I current problems with the business. Thankfully, uh, there. Look, on the if you operate a business, you're always going to have hiccups, uh, and you're always going to hopefully learn from them and change them. We, like I said, we change our model quite a bit. You know, we're we're not doing lease arbitrage uh, anymore. I think it's a great way to start, but I, uh, I think once you have a healthy business, uh, there's better ways uh, to really grow your business. We're you know we're open for business for new management contracts and you know managing properties. We don't keep people long uh, in our, like, you know, like stuck in our contracts. We only want to work with people who are excited about working with us and partnering with us. Our whole point of the business was that I would say probably nine out of 10 owners that we worked with, they all stayed with us and eventually ended up buying more property that we ended up managing. And so I think the longevity of thinking to work That's with cool. a property owner um, is vital. And it's been so exciting because you just grow it with it. I mean, some of them bought property with us. Uh, and so there's nothing cool than to get that trust. Look, we're, we can manage properties all across the country, uh, co-host, uh, whatever it is, if, you know, and uh, we can also help people really, you know, look for the right investment opportunities uh, with companies like Fatshit by using you guys' data and really analyzing it. And now we own, uh, you know, we know the founder, so uh, we'll have a direct, direct call to him. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. 
And people can find us over at moondogplace.com. Uh, we've got uh, our company phone number up there. You can reach uh, both Fidel and myself that way. Uh, my email is ryan at moondogplace.com. Edel's is Edel at moondogplace.com. Pretty simple. Uh, we're, we're always willing to talk. Really love hearing from your listeners and uh, seeing uh, how, how we can do business. I, I think the problem that you'll see with every single company in the world is we're always looking for more growth. And if you have the key to additional growth, you're going to be paid a lot of money for it. And so, uh, you know, we'd, we'd love, uh, we are, we're always looking at new creative ways to both grow our business and, and more importantly, to help our clients. Uh, we really want to deliver exceptional service to everyone that we're working with. Uh, and uh, th that's always been top of mind when we're doing business. That's awesome. So if anybody has uh, money burning a hole in their pocket and they want to go buy a badass Airbnb, but they don't want to have to manage it and they want two pros to manage it for them, please reach out to them. Uh, Yoni, anything else before I get out of here? One of our best guests ever. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say best because I don't want to insult anybody, but this was pretty awesome. Absolutely. I agree. We really enjoyed uh, it. Ryan, thank you guys so much for having us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you absolutely. guys for having us. All right. Thank you guys it's so been... much for coming on. We appreciate it. It's been another episode of the Fetch Podcast. Peace. <laughs>